Thank you, Father God. Your word is true concerning my life. I am who the word says I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where God's word says I am, seated right now in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what your word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine, and I can do what your word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert, my spirit is receptive, so I'm taught the word of God. My life has changed for the better, and I will never be the same again. Amen. Give five people a high five, and then you may be seated this morning. So for the third time in the history of the church, we're marching through the book of 1 John. And after this, we'll probably go to James. Why 1 John and James? Well, because those are the two books the modern-day heretics and apostates hate. And I figure we need to go back and study what they hate because there must be a lot of truth in whatever they hate. Thank you for joining us, joining us live. If you're watching live somewhere besides right here, uh, click share so we can get this message out to as many people as we can. You know, it's hard to believe, but we're reaching more people online now than every Sunday than when we were on broadcast television nationwide. It's pretty amazing. And, uh, and then also, people in countries where they don't have churches. We're not going to mention those countries, but countries where churches are not allowed. Uh, and a lot of times when people are watching there's a way to let us know where they're watching from, and we find this out. So we're glad. Amen. And any of you watching online, if you want to send us something, that'd be great. But these wonderful people at Faith Christian Center are so blessed by God because we have taught them the Word of God. Everything's paid for. Amen. And so we're not going to be like some preachers and say, if you don't send your nickel, we're going to go off the air. We're not going off the air. Amen. We're going to keep trucking until the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So the past couple of Sundays we have seen in 1 John chapter 2 that we demonstrate our faith in God by our obedience. And we've seen that we demonstrate our love for God by our obedience. We've seen that our love for God is proven by our obedience and we have seen that our faith in God is proven by our obedience. Now this, to summarize the modern apostasy, and it has swept through full gospel churches because I think it's a reaction to all the legalism that had been present in part of the full gospel world. Now, I've been blessed by the Lord. When I was five years old, my mother, we moved from Highland Park, Michigan, to Warren, Michigan, and my mother had two slip discs in her back. And in those days, they, man, they, they opened you up, and it was a horrific surgery. She had one disc done. They, were, they would do one at a time. 
And I remember specifically because I stayed at the neighbor's house while she was in the hospital. Well, she recovered from that, but it was such a horrible experience, she was determined to not go through that again. So she began hunting and searching. That was before Rex Humbard went on television. There were no preachers on television. And so she began hunting and searching on the radio, looking for, because she'd been raised Southern Baptist, she was searching for a way to get healed and avoid that second surgery. And she found uh, James Lee Beal on the radio. His mother, M.D. Beal, had pioneered Bethesda Missionary Temple. And uh, I believe it was 1930 or 32 or 3. And it was a full gospel church. But she had been raised Roman Catholic. And she had gotten saved. She got baptized in the Holy Spirit. My point is, she did not come out of a Pentecostal background. So she was like one of the early charismatics. And so we went to that church, and sure enough, my mom got healed, never needed the second surgery. The point is, I've been full gospel for 61 years, and I have never spent a day in that legalistic Pentecostal environment. And what do I mean by that? Well, and they love to pick on women. How long is the skirt? How long is the hair? And whether they have makeup or not. Look, if you're around some religion and they're picking on women, you need to get out of there. Amen. I mean, you know, women, women can be a problem. But let me tell you what, every time a woman's a problem, a guy's a problem three times. Amen. Amen. So I think a lot of this is a reaction to legalism. But we've never, Sue and I, neither one have spent a day in that environment. We don't know anything about that. And Kenneth Hagin, the one that went to be with the Lord in 2003, always used to say, you can get in the ditch on the right side of the road, or you can get in the ditch on the left side of the road. Why does it seem so hard for people to go right down the middle of the road? And so, of course, it does matter what we do. Now, these heretics, these apostates say it doesn't matter what we do. This is nonsense. I mean, the person who has a garden is going to get different results from someone who doesn't have a garden. Someone who spanks their children is going righteously, biblically, is going to get a different result from someone who never spanks their children. Someone who tithes, and then this, this apostasy loves to go to money, and that's because this evil, wicked generation loves welfare. And so, but it's obvious that someone who tithes is going to get a different result from someone who doesn't tithe. How about this? Someone who exercises is going to get a different result from someone who doesn't exercise. So anybody who says it doesn't matter what we do, including Bernie Sanders, this is nonsense. Tell your neighbor, it's nonsense. It's nonsense in the secular world and it's nonsense in the religious world. Look at 1 John 2, verses 3 to 5. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. I remember back in the 70s, one of the two prophets I met in my life, David Wilkerson, wrote a book called 
the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ, just a little like what they used to call a radio booklet, the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mean, all heck broke loose. And you know, it wasn't the sinners that had a problem, it was Christians. The whole idea that there were commandments by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, anybody who's read the four gospels knows there are some commandments from the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a human nature thing to react against commandments. And uh, you know, last time, right before Nancy Cole went to be with the Lord, Ed, Ed Cole called our office, said, we want to have lunch with Gene and Sue. And so we went and had lunch with Ed Nancy Cole. And he said, you're like an attorney. He said, you're like God's attorney. He said, every, every Sunday, he said, you lay out God's case. And this is me making God's case. All, I've, all he's ever done in my life is love me. All he's ever done in my life is forgive me. All he's ever done in my life is be gracious unto me. All he's ever done in my life is show mercy to me. All he's ever done in my life is heal me. All he's ever done in my life is bless me. That's the way I see Father God. And I hate the way these ministers paint serving God like it's some great, big, horrible pain in the backside. I hate it. I hate it. And if you're watching, shame on you. Because there are some commandments, but they're not for God's good. They're for our good. See, if I covet my neighbor's wife, I'm not going to hurt God. I'm going to hurt myself. Do you understand? If I commit murder, kill another human being, I'm not going to hurt God. I'm going to hurt my own soul. Can you see that? So all of these laws and rules and regulations people have a problem with, not one of them were written for God's good. He's not, you know, a lot of people like to see him as some big party pooper in the sky. It's all for our good because he knows that if we lie or murder or covet or kill with our tongues, that we're going to damage our own lives. We're going to sow seeds that we're not going to enjoy reaping the harvest from later. So it's all for our good. But people have a problem with this thing of obedience. But listen, this generation is without excuse, and this generation is going to be judged most harshly because we obey stuff all the time. You probably obeyed the speed limit coming here. You most certainly obeyed the seatbelt laws coming here. And a lot of people, I mean, just look what happened to society on the COVID hysteria. The idiot in chief says, don't go outside. That's where we get vitamin C and D from. And, and how are we going to exercise if we don't go outside? I mean, it was lunacy. Socially distanced. How did man make it 6,000 years plus without socially distancing? You know, an MD stood out here two years ago in 2020. Kids were out here playing after church. You know, they come out of children's church. They're so excited. And she told me, she said, look at them. She said, you know, they've been swapping boogers and doing all that they're doing. And she said, that's how God designed the system to build our immunities 
and to make us strong. Then she said, they all go home to their own, they, they get around all those kids, they share all those germs, and then they go home, and then they share those germs with parents and grandparents and everybody at the house, and she said, it, made us, it makes us strong. Amen. Now, two years later, we know from the data that they, they ruined the immune system of a lot of people with the social distancing. And then, you know, the average American gained something like 34 pounds during the COVID hysteria. Well, of course, somebody tells you to stay home, don't go outside, you're, you're going to gain weight. And then also they stress you the heck out. What do you do with Christians? What do you do when you're stressed? We, we can't drink. We can't do drugs. So what, what do we do when we're stressed? We eat. My point is, we obey, I'm not saying you obeyed Dr. Fool, but we as a people, as a society, as a culture, we obey all kinds of stuff all the time, even if it doesn't make any sense. And then the same people, even, the, even these welfare people, I mean, I have never filled out a government document in my life, I don't think, since I had to get a Social Security number when I was 10 or 11 years old to become a paper boy in Detroit, Michigan. But think about the paperwork it takes to go on welfare, the paperwork it takes to get an EBT card, the paperwork, the paperwork to get Section 8 housing. And people, they comply with all of that, they fill out all of that, they do all of that. My point is, the exact same lazy, wicked generation that has a problem with obeying God obeys man all the time. That's right. And we would, I don't know about you, but except for missing a speeding ticket, I don't see any advantage to obeying man. Yeah, but you know, you could go to prison. No, I can't go to prison. I can't go to prison because I'm obeying the moral laws of God. Can you see that? If I'm obeying the moral laws of God, what do they got on me? Overeating, that's it. <laughs> so all of this is for our good. Tell your neighbor, it's all for our good. And I hate it. Did I say that? I know I did, but I'm going to repeat it. I hate the way they portray serving God as some great big pain in the backside. And I'm not afraid, you know, when they do these surveys at the Mall Among Sinners, a phrase like serving God is something that your average preacher would never allow to come out of his mouth because that's so old school and, you know, probably sinners at the mall don't like it, so they avoid words like that or phrases like that. I don't care. That's what we're preaching here at Faith Christian Center, serving God Amen. because he is worthy. Amen. I said he is worthy. Amen. You know, you, you might serve a politician and go door to door and vote five times. Well... That's one thing, but th those politicians are not worthy. Our Father God is worthy. Amen. Amen? So we know him. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, say it out loud. If anyone obeys his word... God's love is truly made complete in him. See, we know we're lovers because we obey. I, I know this is old school, but, you know, I can't help it. 
we moved in this building, and the, the man is sitting in the audience right now at 9 o'clock. We moved in this building, and one of my ushers was walking. There was a hallway behind the stage. He was walking down that hallway, and the Holy Spirit of God spoke to him and said, your pastor is able to do all these things because he does everything I tell him to do. See, a lot of people, they want the prize, but they don't want to pay the price. They want the, they want the blessing, they want the benefit, they want the covenant blessings, but they don't want to walk in the covenant. You're not going to have the covenant blessings if you don't walk in the covenant. Same thing with marriage, right? You know, you cheat on your wife and you throw beer bottles at her. Well, you're not going to really be walking in all the benefits of the covenant relationship, right? You have to do your part. Now let's get to new ground and talk about not loving the world. Chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. And this right here is convicting. Tell your neighbor, do not love the world, not love the world. or anything in the world. But we, we live in a celebrity-worshipping mess. And a lot, of, a lot of these preachers are trying to be celebrities. They showed me a picture two weeks ago of some famous preacher I'd never seen before or heard of. And, you know, wearing great big Elvis-style glasses and a crazy hairdo. And I, I said to my staff, is that what it takes? Because I'm not doing it. <laughs> Amen. Because I'm not an entertainer. I'm, I'm a minister. See, but they're trying to be famous. And my job is not to make me famous. My job is to make Jesus famous. Amen. But he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Do not love, say, say it out loud. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now he's talking about a worship, a devotion, <laughs> I'm laughing because half the time I get in trouble, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. I'd really rather not go down that road, Father. Dear, you know, I came here intending to behave myself. He's talking to me right now about pets. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a pet and liking a pet. But I have met plenty of Christians who love their pets more than they love their children. They know who their registered dog, they know what dog their registered dog is having sex with, but they don't know who their children are having sex with. This is why we don't have four or 5,000 people here this morning. <laughs> so you can have a car and like that car, but you ought not like worship it. You can have a house and like that house, but you shouldn't like worship it. Can you see that? If there's some music group or band you like, that's one thing, but you shouldn't worship it. But people are crazy. They're crazy. You know, women will just run to have sex with some basketball player or uh, some movie star or uh, it's, it's just insanity. Do not love the world Amen. or anything in the world. See, and the proper perspective for a Christian is we are like Abraham. We are but pilgrims 
passing through. That's why one of the greatest Christian books ever written was Pilgrim's Progress. It's, it's a, a wonderful portrayal of a pilgrim progressing through this life. And so there are things we like, but we ought not be in love with the world. This thing with politicians amazes the heck out of me. There's only been one decent president in my lifetime, and he made a bunch of mistakes. I don't understand this whole thing of worshiping politicians. They're not worthy. I said they're not worthy. I thought I said they're not worthy. But we, we've got people, you know, half the country worship, worships one guy, and half the country worships the other guy, and I, I just don't see it. And if we, would, if we would focus our love and our faith and our devotion, I mean, look at these people still in prison two years later because somebody said, come to Washington January 6th, stop the steal, you know, and all of that. And they're still in prison today. You know, we, we know of a preacher's son who was there. Look, you know, somebody say, come do this. And all. I'm not, no, I'm not going. I, I'm gonna, I'd rather pray. I'd rather be a doer of the word of God. If I do the word of God, I might get something out of it. But if I help some politician, that politician, let me tell you what, you can't count on them. And you think you can count on them, but then you read in the paper or online that they voted for something that's horrendous. A politician is like an opportunity to wait to be disappointed. Am I helping anybody? So the Bible is so wonderful, so great, so crystal clear, and we miss it because we don't read it, and we miss it because we don't meditate on it. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Everybody say, ouch. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's even true of the earth. You know, how many preachers are into earth worship, Gaia worship? Look, I'm not advocating throwing your Coca-Cola bottles out the window, but the fact of the matter is, all of this is going to be renovated. So even if you go to Yellowstone or the Grand Canyon, don't fall in love with the world because it's all going to be burned up. It's all going to be renovated. There's nothing here permanent. There's nothing here that's going to last. You know what's going to last? The soul and the spirit inside of you. That's what's going to last. But everything, everything, when you drive home, everything you see, it'll all be burned up. It's all going to be remodeled. You don't, think, you don't think God's going to leave places like the Bronx on the earth in the millennium, do you? It's all got to be remade. Amen? For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, I'm in 1 John 2, 16. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. 
I won't mention the actress's name. You know, that would be unkind, but uh, I think it was, I don't remember who it was. Somebody showed me a picture online of this famous, famous actress. Unbelievable what COVID did to her, the lockdown. I mean, she made her money, you know, as this tiny little petite cute thing. I mean, she has got to weigh four or 500 pounds. And you men need to wake up and realize, you know, you go to work, you see some young thing and you, you know, you're all mesmerized or whatever. You need to remind yourself, the word of God says that's passing away. <laughs> that whole hard body thing, that's going to pass away. And then girls, you know, you see that guy, man, he looks so good, he got abs. Look, trust me, they're going to pass away. <laughs> Everything you see is going to pass away. It's all going to pass away. So you, you're really foolish to fall in love with the world because it's passing away. The proper perspective for the Christian man or woman is that we are pilgrims. We are here for a season. We are here. This is our proving ground. And by loving God and by living for God and by obeying God and by serving God, we prove to God that we believe him, we love him, and we are well qualified to live with him in his house forever. This is just temporary. It's all temporary. I said it's all temporary. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does, the will of God lives forever. Now, isn't it interesting that <coughs> these modern heretics say it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter whether you pray or not. It doesn't matter. And they say, well, you actually, what they're saying is, there isn't, you're not really committing a new sin once you get saved because it's all been forgiven anyway. And we just dealt with a few weeks ago, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we just dealt with in chapter 1 where John says, any man who says he hasn't sinned is a liar. And he's writing to believers. We've established that over and over and over. He says, the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, how much plainer could it get? How much plainer could the word of God get than to say he who does the will of God lives forever? And in my annual Bible reading, you know, I just wrapped up Jeremiah and Lamentations over and over and over and over and over and over and over. God says, I will judge them according to what they have done. Somebody might say that's Old Testament. Well, wait a minute. We're in 1 John. That's the New Testament. And it says the man who does the will of God lives forever. I don't know about you, but I want to spend my eternity living with God than dying with Satan. Then we have a warning against Antichrist. Verse 18, dear children, say it out loud, dear children. So is he writing to believers or unbelievers? And that the apostates say, these heretics say, well, 1 John wasn't written to believers. But over and over and over and over and over, he says, dear children. So of course it was written to believers. Dear children, this is the last hour. Look, somebody might say, that's ridiculous. That was 2,000 years ago. Look, <laughs> the way to look at this is this. If John thought it was the last hour 2,000 years ago, 
All that means is we are 2,000 years closer to the end. And the reason he thought it was the last hour was all the persecution. I'm not sure exactly of the timeline, but, you know, we're talking about the days of Nero and, and war against the church. And John himself, they tried to kill him by burning him in oil, but that didn't do anything to him. So, of course, he thought it was the last hour. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, and then also you have to understand these words were written, were not, they were penned by John as he was moved along by the Holy Spirit of God. These words were penned by John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit gave John those words 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit knew 2,000 years later we would be preaching from these words at Faith Christian Center. God does not have your 2022 generation attention span of three minutes. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Listen, you need to understand something. Satan knows a whole lot. But Satan doesn't know what God's calendar is. Satan knows a whole lot, and Satan has 6,000 years plus experience dealing with man, lying to man, snookering man, deceiving man, but Satan does not know the mind of God. And so Satan has to have a selection of Antichrist available at any given time because he does not know when the Lord, when Father God is going to send the Lord Jesus Christ to collect the church. So we look back through history. We look at Genghis Khan, or we look at Adolf Hitler, or we look at Joseph Stalin. We look at Mao. We, we can see where they were developed in their day to be possibilities. Somebody said the other day, can't be this guy because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have any brains. Well, listen. <laughs> the Bible specifically says, and I'm not trying to infer anything here, but I'm saying you got to leave the door open for possibilities. The Bible specifically says the Antichrist is going to recover from a head wound. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you could take anybody... And if they were personally possessed by Lucifer himself, they would be the smartest person on the planet. So I'm just saying, understand that there is not one antichrist. There are antichrists at work in society. What is an antichrist? Well, somebody who's against Christ, somebody who's against Jesus. Don't you think that all of these drugs and surgeries and experiments they're doing on children right now is antichrist? Amen. Don't you think what's going on in public schools with the drag queens is antichrist? Amen. How about this? Don't you think that a former word of faith minister standing up in his church and saying that anything Jesus said before the death, burial, and resurrection does not apply to us today. Don't you think that's Antichrist? Yes. 
Don't you think anybody in any pulpit saying that the Bible does not apply to us today and we don't have to ask God's forgiveness for our sins, don't you think they're, they're an antichrist? So there is not one antichrist, there are antichrists, and there have been antichrists. Don't you think Nero, that, that put Christians in the Colosseum to be eaten by lions, don't you think he was an antichrist? So down through history, there have always been antichrists, and there are antichrists today. Now, at some point in time, when the Lord takes the church out of here, Satan is going to pick one and make them the Antichrist. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to meet him. Because I'm going to be out of here. Amen. Any Christian wondering who the Antichrist is <coughs> has not studied the book of Revelation. Hopefully, nobody in this room will live to see, or be here to see, I should say, the, the Antichrist. Am I helping anybody? But I'm talking about a spirit. I'm talking about an attitude, an anti-Jesus, an anti-Word of God spirit. And it's everywhere. Isn't it everywhere? I said, isn't it everywhere? And I don't know about you, but I've never seen it all through government like I have seen it in 2020 to 2022. I mean, it has permeated every, it's almost like what God said in Revelation that Satan has declared war on the church. Just in the last two weeks, they've arrested 11 anti-abortion pro-life leaders. So Satan is waging war on the church. He's obviously waging war on children. Right? Why would they pick on pro-life leaders? Well, because they want to kill babies in the womb with impunity. And, and people are getting in the way of that. The Supreme Court got in the way of that. So some of these state legislatures are getting in the way of that. So they're in the way of the agenda. The, what agenda? The kill, kill every kid you can agenda. And if you can't kill them in the womb, and some way, somehow they manage to escape the womb, then kill their chances for a normal life by giving them a lousy, stinking education and or kill their chances for a normal life by giving them drugs and or kill their chances for a normal life by doing medical experimental surgeries on them. Amen. Killing their chances. You understand whether male or female, this kills any chance of any of them having life beyond their own. And it kills any chance of having family. And family is what it's about. And if you go to the book of Malachi, God is seeking godly offspring. And it kills the opportunity for offspring. They've done this with the drugs. Worldwide, since they rolled out these clot shots, worldwide, fertility is down 22%. Is that, you think that's just chance? 
You think, you think that's just a coincidence? There's a war going on against children. There's a war going on against the Bible. There's a war going on against manhood. There is a war going on against womanhood. There is a war going on against the nuclear family. And it is all being carried out by antichrists. And unfortunately, as we're going to see, a lot of this comes from inside the church, not outside the church. Even now many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Verse 19, they went out from us. They went out from us. So a lot of the people advocating all of this lunacy are in the pulpits of America. But we're, we're holding the line. Tell your neighbor, we're holding the line. You know, next Sunday, hopefully Pastor Sue will be back. Guess what? She'll still be a woman. And, and I'll be here next Sunday, and guess what? I'll still be a guy. We're holding the line. I said, we're holding the line. Anybody glad we're holding the line? <laughs> we're just not, we're just not going to, we're not going to be servants of Satan here. We are going to be servants of the living God here. Can I get an amen? Can I get a better amen? They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. This is a big ouch. Because I think some people just wanted to be a minister for some reason. They wanted to be famous. Maybe they liked the lifestyle. I don't understand it, but... A lot of people taught faith, and now they're not teaching faith. Why? Because they thought it was a fad. See, I never taught faith. I'm going to run out of time, but let me explain something very clearly. I never taught faith because it was a fad. I never thought, taught faith because it was cool. Here's what happened to me. I was raised in that independent full gospel church in Detroit, Michigan. From 1960 to 1970, my formative years, my dad bought a Ford dealership in 1970 in Cincinnati, Ohio. And so my mom chose the church. We went to a little Assembly of God church, the closest one to us, three years there. When Sue and I started college in 1973, we started going to, it was an Assembly of God church, but it was very much a charismatic church. It was a mega church. It was uh, very, very different. Not your typical Assembly of God church. We went there. 1973 to 1976, when we were home. 1978, I got a job at a church. It was an Assembly of God church as a minister of education. I did that from 1978 to 1982. 1982, I resigned from there. We were missionaries, 1982, 1983 in Kenya. We came back the last, man, he's leading me, the last the last day in Nairobi, I preached for a man, wonderful man, wonderful. His name was Wayne Turner. His wife's name was Muriel, Wayne and Muriel Turner. 
They had pioneered. Of course, they'd spent their whole lifetime on the mission field, but when we met them, they were pastoring a church. He had pioneered in Nakuru, Kenya. They lived in a house way up above the lake. Lake Nakuru is the home, it's the flamingo capital of the world. You would stand, you would stand in Wayne and Muriel Turner's living room and look down at Lake Nakuru, and a third of the lake looked pink from the flamingos. And he had this church he pioneered in Nakuru, and they were meeting in a tent. We've got pictures of it, me preaching there. Wonderful, wonderful man. That, Wayne Turner is where I learned how to do offerings. And the last day in Nairobi, we had lunch with Wayne and Muriel Turner. And I said, Wayne, if you had the whole thing to do over again, what would you do? And he turned to his wife, Muriel, and he said, should I tell him? She said, yeah, tell him. And he said, I would, he said, instead of doing what I did, I would have pioneered an independent church in the United States of America, and I would have done missions out of it. And that was it. That was my Rhema Christos. And that's what we did. We pioneered an independent church, and we've done missions out of it. Amen? Amen. But ain't nobody telling us what to do. We don't have to jump through anybody's hoops. Amen? We don't have to make anybody happy. We don't have any denominational people telling us what to do. Amen? We're able to hear the voice of the Lord and do what God tells us to do. Are you getting this this morning? So he says if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But by their going, they showed none of them belonged to us. I was telling the story about how I got into this. So we pioneered this church. I mean, we pioneered this church January 1, 1984. It was maybe by March, March, maybe by March 1984, I told Sue, I said, I need more information. And so we looked around and we picked Kenneth Hagan, the one that went to be with the Lord in 2003. We picked his camp meeting, summer 1984, you might have seen that picture. I think she's wearing a red dress in a, in a, a city park, uh, great with child. Uh, she was carrying Christina, and that was the summer of 1984. We were Kenneth Hagan's camp meeting. We heard Kenneth Hagan. I'd met Kenneth Hagan. I'd met Junior. I'd met T.L. Osborne. But I'd never heard Kenneth Hagin speak in person. We heard him. We heard John Osteen. What a wonderful man. And they're teaching this word of faith stuff. But you got to understand who you're dealing with. Because I already had the bachelor's degree. I already had the master's degree. I already, no, at that point, the classwork was done on the doctorate, but I had to still walk across the stage in December of 1984. So I didn't just believe. I'm not jughead. But I took what I heard in that camp meeting in 1984. I came back to Arlington, Texas, and I hunted and I searched the word. And I saw from the New Testament that what they were teaching was exactly spot on. So I never taught this as a fad. I never taught this to get numbers. I never taught this because it was the cool thing to do in the mid-80s. I saw from the New Testament, they were right on. They were spot on. And so then later, 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 and I could stand here and name names, later when people got off the word, it, man, I mean, I'm still standing. Amen. And, and they get off the word because, you know, 
I remember there's one message. One, it's not really one of my favorites, but it's one of Austin's favorites where uh, Fred Price was at a Carlton Pearson meeting and Carlton Pearson was all about what new thing is God doing? And man, Fred went off on him. It's not about what new thing God's doing because God's old and his word is old. It's all old. He ain't doing nothing new. They don't call him the ancient of days for nothing. He says, I am the Lord and I change not. Amen. Tell your neighbor, if it's new, it's a lie. It's new, it's a lie. See, that should have told everybody what they needed to know about COVID. If it's new, it's a lie. Or a boy becoming a girl or a girl becoming a boy. I dare you to, now, did you notice they're putting warning labels on old black and white movies? They're putting the, they have a new category called OC, outdated content. No, outdated culture. Because if there's nobody being carjacked or raped or murdered and nobody selling drugs, that's outdated culture. <laughs> no, I've always been a critical thinker. And I saw it from the New Testament. They were right on. Lester Summerall was my primary mentor in the gospel, but I didn't learn that much from him. I related to him because his two offices that he held were identical to mine, so there was a simpatico there. And I had a relationship with him I didn't have with, with most of the others. I had his cell number. I could talk to him about anything. He was my daddy. But man, that word, I learned that word from those, those three guys, Fred Price, Kenneth Hagan, John Osteen, my God, my God, my God. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Look at how he talks about you, though. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you. See, everybody sitting in a church where they say it doesn't matter what you do, there's a, there's, there's a scratching on the inside of every person sitting there hearing that, and they know that's a lie. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And this is the way I live my life. I, this is the way I live my life. You take my last 10 messages at random, pick any of them. Ray's, Finest Jennings Dake, Oral Roberts, Kenneth Hagan, Fred Price, John Osteen, raise them from the dead, show them the last 10 messages, and they would all agree with all of it. What does the word faithful mean? What does the word faithful mean? Look it up when you get home in Webster's. It means true to the original. They knew what they were talking about. Think of the exploits they did. Think of what they built. Think of all the people they got healed. Think of the buildings they built. Think of the churches they built. Think about what they did. T.L. Osborne. Even Bud Sickler, even missionary Bud Sickler raised the dead. Bud would love this message this morning. True to the original. 
And who, who, what original did those men try and be true to? Talk to me. What original did those men try and be true to? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John. Tell your neighbor again, if it's, if it's new, it's a lie. Tell the neighbor on the other side, if it's new, it's a lie. I know I'm out of time, but let me ask you a very simple question. If Jesus, if Jesus decided to come down to planet Earth and be the guest speaker at some church next Sunday morning, would he wear great big Elvis glasses? Would he have some kind of crazy hairdo? Would he wear sweatpants and Crocs? Here's a good rule of thumb. If you can't picture Jesus doing it, don't do it. Be true to the original. Be faithful, and, the, and we are to be faithful to the original message, not some new message, not some new, new creation by modern man, because modern man is in love with the world, and the world is passing away. And let me say this, by the Holy Spirit of God, every man, every woman in love with the world, they are also passing away. They are passing away with the world. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you if it does. Shout it out loud, if it does. If it does. Shout it out loud, if it does. if it does. Shout it again, if it does. If it does. See, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Now, how much more clear could it be? Amen. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. <coughs> As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. Let me ask you a question. If it were not possible to not remain in him, why would John say remain in him? If remaining in him were not a decision you get to make, why would John write remain in him? So I have to make a decision. Am I going to go with the world? Am I going to go with the world? Am I going to be in love with the world? Am I going to imitate the world? Or am I going to remain in him? And why, pray tell, would Jesus say, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth unless he saw down through the ages that faith would diminish over time? Why would Jesus say 2,000 years ago, he who stands firm to the end shall be saved if he did not see, a lot would not stand firm. So we decide. Tell your neighbor, we decide. We decide. We decide. And the very first decision we make is whether or not we'll believe that in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord. Maybe you're watching online or maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that. That is the very first decision. That's the very first bridge to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the Savior of our lives individually and personally. See, 
And until we do that, the Bible's not going to make any sense to us. Until we do that, none of it's going to make any sense to us because we're spiritually dead. The way we become spiritually alive is to invite Jesus to come into our lives as our Lord and Savior and make him the Lord of our life. How many this morning, let's bow our heads. How many this morning would say, Pastor, I've never done that. I've never been saved. I've never been born again. I've never repented of my sins. But I want to do so this morning. I I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I, I, I want to confess publicly with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not just that, I'm making him the Lord of my life. Pastor, pray for me. I want to be saved. I want to be born again this morning. If that's you this morning, wherever you are, lift a hand up, lift it up high enough to where I can see it. Pastor, pray for me. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. I want to give my life to God and be, I want to live for him and not for the, this old dark world. You may be here this morning and maybe you're backslidden. You're not living for the Lord like you used to. Maybe in times gone by, you told the Lord that you loved him and that you would live for him and you meant it when you prayed it but you've allowed yourself to be drug off course. Maybe you've fallen in love with the world. Maybe you've made mistakes after having fallen in love with the world. And you're here this morning, but your heart is not on fire for God. You're not living for God like you once did. The word says though, two chapters back or one one chapter back, if we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many this morning would say, Pastor, that's me. I'm away from God. I'm backslidden. I'm not living for the Lord like I know I should. But Pastor, I don't want to live in a backslidden condition. The time is short. I see it all around me. I want to make my, I want to make it right with the Lord. I want to live for him from this day to my last day. If that's you this morning, wherever you are, lift a hand up. We're going to pray. Anybody here this morning? Let's pray the prayer for the sake of those. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Let's everybody stand. If you raised your hand for either invitation, I want you to gather your belongings in hand so that way you're not thinking about your stuff. You just bring it with you. And uh, if you raised your hand for either invitation, I want you to be bold about it. Step out into the aisle. Join us here at the front. We're going to pray. But let me say this. There are more people here this morning than the hands I saw. So I want you to be bold about it. If the Lord is calling you, drawing you, if the Lord's speaking to you, I want you to... Gather up your belongings. Join us here at the front. We're going to pray. Amen. Amen. You know, if the world can be crazy and public about all the lunacy they're doing, we ought to be, we, we ought not be ashamed to be public about our profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Amen. 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 <laughs> God's apologist. That doesn't mean to apologize. That means to explain. It's a legal term. We make our case. And you believe the good report. Hallelujah. Everybody in the room, people online that want to pray the prayer, just say it right where you are in your living room or wherever you are, your office. Father God, I give you my life. Time's gone by. I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing and I live for self. But today I turn, and I repent, and I, I confess that I need a Savior, and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, and put within me a heart that loves you, 
and loves your word and loves your house. And I thank you, Father God, for not rejecting me, but for receiving me unto yourself and into your family. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We want to be a blessing to you, give you a book I wrote, God's Very Own Child. If you would go with Mr. Jeff Hughes, we'll get you right back in the service as quick as we can. Let's give God thanksgiving for them. Hallelujah. Well, and if you're online and you prayed that prayer, you can go to fccarlington.com slash salvation. Let us know about your decision. <clears throat> and we'd love to send you that exact same book, God's Very Own Child. Amen. Wasn't it a great day? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you are ready to get?